Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program Develop. We count an absolute joy to have your company with us as we continue and maybe closely finalize our huge series that we've titled Holiness Movement. And holiness is another expression that shares God's heart from Genesis to Revelation about us living His life. He's given us His nature uh, that forges our identity in Him and He's given us a calling to live out the character traits that he deposited within us. And the greatest example of the image that he created us to bear is Jesus himself. That's why our holiness is simply about living out our Christ-likeness, our, the, the, the seed that has been deposited on the inside of us. And throughout the past many sessions, we've looked at three primary segments under this case for holiness. Number one is the foundations. Why should we pursue Christ-like living? Then we looked at some failures for us that prevent us from living out our calling. And finally, we've been looking at some factors that will enable us uh, to live uh, what God created us to be. And today we're going to look at the last factor uh, that is related to living out uh, Christ-likeness uh, in day-to-day uh, living and that is the effort of the disciple. Now God has a role to play in making us holy. The discipling community has a role to play to make us uh, Christ-like and we have a role to play. You noticed, maybe you recall uh, the, the passage that we addressed in the introduction of this mini-series about Paul pressing forward, exerting effort. It says that he was vigorous. The word press was vigorous in his effort is, is the same word that he used for um, you, you know persecuting the church. He's saying with the same passion, enthusiasm and endeavor that I used to persecute the church of Christ before becoming a follower of Jesus is the same energy that I'm going to expend in order to become more and more like Christ and being found in Him. That whenever somebody looks at me, I abide. I, my permanent residency is Christ. They see me as a man in Christ, resembling His characteristic, living by the power of His Spirit. It does take effort to live like Jesus in the world. And all of us have recognized the association between our endeavors and our effort and the outcome or the development that we experience. And, uh, and somehow I found this word effort in Christian circles almost like a dirty word. When I'll be sitting in a group of, of people and, and express, you know, that God intends for us to uh, pursue disciplines, spiritual disciplines, such as reading the Word, such as praying and worshiping and serving and caring and, and, and maybe fasting and, and silence and reflection. It's so like in a Peter, you, you're a little bit legalistic. You know, we are people under grace. We don't need to worry about effort. 
And I wonder why effort is such a, 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 a dirty word in our environments. Maybe because we misunderstood the idea of salvation. Salvation being an, an, an idea that we receive something and it, and, and it means nothing after that. It doesn't compel us to do anything. Or maybe we're confused about the idea and the, contra, the seeming contradiction between grace and effort. Or maybe we're just lazy. Maybe we're just Christians who enjoy what we receive, but we want shortcuts for everything. You know, I recall I, I got employed uh, some years ago in a health-oriented organization. All the people there, they taught, uh, they taught children in particular health and diet and healthy lifestyle and fitness and so on. And I, I don't think they checked my, uh, my lifestyle before they employed me. I was the odd one out. They didn't just teach this stuff, they lived it. And um, after several months of being in the office, one, the marketing uh, lady in the office, she shared with us that she's lost four or five kilos, something like that, in a very short span of time. And uh, she was just uh, bragging about the benefit of a particular machine. She, she called it the vibration exercise machine. And as we began to ask her how she's feeling so healthy and, and, and you know, lost so much weight. And I'm like, I just want to look in the mirror and see how bad I, I look. And, uh, and she said, oh, this new invention, a vibration exercise machine. You stand on it half an hour a day and bang, you will see incredible benefits as a result. Before she finished the sentence, I had Googled that particular machine. I bought the upgraded version from what she bought because you know what? This is a miracle. I stand there and I lose weight and I get fit. Give it to me. I paid some $250 or so. By the time it came, I assembled it. And I'm a horrible handyman. I think I cracked the base. But in any way, uh, we, I would stand on it every day for half an hour. I was like the clown in the house. Because you can imagine the vibration machine. It shakes your whole body. And I always to put it in a full blast. Because the quicker I get fitter, the, 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 you know, the quicker I get healthier, the quicker I lose weight. Oh man, this is awesome. And my kids, they were very young at the time, they were coming from very bad angles. They would look up at me and, and realize that I'm shaking everywhere. And it wasn't belly dancing, I promise. And uh, my ears would go red, my face would go red. And after several months, I noticed I haven't lost any weight and I wasn't getting any fitter. It was, it was like hocus pocus. I went back to the marketing lady and I said, listen, what's the story? Like, what's your secret? I've been doing this thing for several months. I, it hasn't worked. I said, tell me a little bit more what you did around. I said, look, it coincided with me having a personal trainer uh, at the time that I purchased this machine. And that personal trainer will give me some exercises to do. 
on the vibration exercise machine. Ah, just little omissions. She forgot to tell me that you have to exercise on a $250 machine. And, uh, and I, I, I went home and I, and I said to the family, guess what? This machine doesn't work unless you actually do real exercises while you're standing there. And uh, the diligent people we are and how much we valued, you know, the outcome straight away put it for on eBay for sale and it was gone. You know, we all want to get something with the least amount of effort. And that sometimes translates to our spiritual endeavors. And we, 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 we maybe blame God that, uh, you know, why aren't we developing? You know, the machine is not working. I'm standing still. It's not doing anything. But God would tell us over and over again. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us the word. He's given us the spirit. He's sanctified us by the cross. And he has given us a group of people to journey with us. But he wants us to do something. And today, in a very basic way, as we finish uh, this particular series, I want to invite you to reflect with me on some biblical principles that makes the case for effort. Effort is not a dirty word after all. We see it repeatedly given to us in the scripture to enable us to progress forward. And I want to mention four simple concepts very briefly today. But you can explore the scripture yourself about the expectation of exerting effort by the abilities and the energies that God supplies. First thing is effort is a command. Secondly, effort is an expectation of collaboration with God. Effort, we have a case of people who love Jesus, believed in the gospel of grace, but invested effort in their spiritual development. And finally, effort requires requires our ongoing commitment. Let me share with you some scriptures. First, as a biblical command, reason number one why we should exert the effort. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 5 to 10, it says, For this very reason, the fact that you have the divine nature on the inside of you, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection that is brotherly love and love to everyone. And finishes it off in verse 10. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, Peter speaking here, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Every effort is commanded in the scripture. It's not against what the gospel of grace is all about. Again, we read in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 and 16, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy with that holiness. No one will see God. Can you see that it says make every effort to live in peace? This is not to receive peace. But to live in peace, that to experience the peace that God has placed between us and Him and us and other people. So live in that peace. This is practical instruction. This is an imperative, not an indicative. This is what we need to do actively. And again, it would, uh, the, the verse would read, make every effort to be holy. 
Yes, we're made holy, but we need to make every effort to pursue Christ's likeness to be uh, holy, just like our Heavenly Father is holy. Uh, 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 Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, Have nothing to do with godless myth and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. You need to do something, Timothy. You are a saint, but you need to train yourself to be godly. No one will train for you. No one will get on a, a vibration exercise machine and do the exercises for you. No one goes to the gym and you benefit as a result of their exercises and re exercise regime. You have to train yourself to be godly and he and he speaks Paul speaks of himself as someone that labors and strives with the energies that God gives him uh, laboring investing exercising all requires exertion of effort it's a biblical command that we invest effort in our spiritual life don't give yourself the excuse I don't discipline myself. I don't spend time in God's word. I don't spend time in worship. I don't say no to, to this, this and that in order to be able to say yes to God. But, but it's all okay because we're saved by grace. That's not a good biblical excuse. The second thing we want to, the second reason we say God anticipates for us, His followers to invest the effort is written in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 to 16. And look what he says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. A children of God without fault in a rapt and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Have you noticed Paul is inviting the church in Philippi who are true believers to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? Uh, you know why this verse can um, uh, you know, confuse some people is because we view salvation as justification. We don't see salvation as, as justification where we're made right by, uh, simply by trusting Jesus. We don't see that it has another implication that we are sanctified by the Spirit, that we trust Jesus and as we collaborate with the Spirit, salvation is also sanctification. It's something that happens throughout our life on earth, imparting to, the, living out the imparted righteousness of Christ, not simply imputed that is given to our account. Uh, uh, the day where we receive Jesus authentically. But we have to play our part. Salvation here is sanctification and then there will be glorification. But Paul is not saying that you can save yourself. 
is not saying that you can be right with God by what you do. He's saying you have to collaborate with the Spirit to experience in reality what God has already done in your potentiality. You already have a right standing with God. Allow that reality to, uh, to, 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 to be produced in you and you have a right living with God. And he says, God works in you to will and to act. It's a collaboration. Like God uh, provokes godly desires in us because He's given us the character of Christ and the nature of Christ that seeks after the things of God. So He's already, uh, you know, allowed us to be inclined to do the things of God and to reflect Christ from the inside out. It's God honoring appetites. But he's saying he will not just do that so we want to, but he enables us to act. So act requires us to participate, requires us to collaborate with God's Spirit. And by the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. And by the Spirit, we walk in a way that reflects the character of Christ. And then he says, if you do that, then you will shine. You will, you will shine in a crooked generation. People not living a godly life, you will shine. You will reflect the light of Christ in the world. We need to collaborate. The third reason uh, that the scripture wants us to exert effort in our spiritual development towards Christ's likeness is because we have a case of the greatest person who lived uh, you know, his full potential in God. His name is Apostle Paul. And even though he preached over and over and over again that we are only made right with God by trusting, he didn't eliminate trying to live that reality out. Trusting is not opposing to trying. And he says this, Do you not know that in a race, and he loved using the race analogy, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Notice with me how many times Paul makes it utterly clear that our walk on earth is like an athlete running a race. So uh, repeatedly uses a sporting analogy, whether it's a boxing fight, whether it's foot race, whether a chariot race. He was familiar with the Olympic uh, that, that was occupied the, uh, you know, many uh, people in his era's minds. You know, they were sporting freaks, probably not so dissimilar to our own culture, but he's using this athletic analogy to say we are owed to run the race, not to crawl, not to stand still. We need to run. What does it take to run? You need to exert effort and effort 
it doesn't start on the day of the marathon. You imagine having to do a, a 42 kilometers marathon and you haven't trained beforehand, you're going to be dead meat by the end of it if you can last any, any amount of kilometers. But the reality is he's saying those athletes who compete, they go into strict training. They discipline themselves. They, they, their whole mind and their lifestyle and their food intake is, is so focused on giving them the best possible chance to compete well and accomplish the prize. So they, they, they orient their life around their goal. And that's what a, a spiritual athlete needs to do. Their entire life, therefore, becomes uh, consistent with the reality of their spiritual race and development. So they're not saying, why should I worry about drinking this? Or why should I worry about eating that? Or why should I worry about looking at that? Or why should I worry about, you know, interacting in this manner? And I have been, you know, safe. No, it's like allowing the reality of us being athletes to determine how we live our whole life, not just, you know, the day of the marathon. And Clearly, we are not saved by the way we race because in those ancient times, those people who raced, they, were, they had to be citizens first. So Paul is saying, you are citizens of heaven, but run in such a way, live in such a way that reflects the reality that you're a spiritual athlete, that given your spiritual development, your best shot, a strict training. I strike a blow to my body. Like Paul is saying, I'm not just telling you do this and 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 keep you know a, a clear focus and devotion in all of your daily uh, activities on the fact that you're trying to live a God honoring life, a holy life, a Christ like life. He's saying I'm doing that too. Even though I should be giving in a get out of jail a free card, he's saying I'm living that way. And it's saying, run in such a way as to get the prize. What I'm saying, what I'm thinking is this. There are some people that run with a defeated mentality. Or some people running and saying, you know what? I don't think I'm going to get to the end and win. So they run and whenever they feel a little bit tired, they might slow down. But someone that thinks they're going to win it and want to win it, they are giving it their best shot. They're not allowing anything to hinder them on the way. And that's the type of intensity that Paul shares with us. And you probably recall that we mentioned about Philippians chapter 3 where it says, I press forward. I'm straining. I am giving it my best shot. I'm not letting any ounce of energy to prevent me from reaching the goal that God has designed me to reach. You know, God has a purpose for my life and I want to live that out. The purpose will be declared in the future. Perfect Christ likeness, but I can live it out today. And it does require effort. It does require effort. Then finally, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God expects His people to exert effort because our development requires a total resolve and commitment for the long haul. Look at the writer of Hebrews chapter 12. He says this, Therefore, since you are, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The writer of Hebrew is writing to a group of uh, Jewish background believers who are tempted to let go and quit on the race, let go and quit on, on their full-on devotion to Christ and maybe embrace some of the Jewishness that would give them an easy path in life, that if they wouldn't be excluded from the synagogue, they will be uh, you know, in, in a safe place, away from hardship economically and uh, genuine persecution and 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 a writer of Hebrews whether that's uh, Apollos or Paul or someone else we don't know fully he's, he's also describing the concept of the spiritual walk as a race a race to be run that requires effort but it doesn't just require effort it, it's a marathon that requires persevering effort that requires us to run with, with perseverance. And, and here is saying, throw off anything that will hinder you. That means not necessarily sin alone. He says, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That means there's almost two categories. Let go of anything in your life that's preventing you from running to the best of your capacity. That's part of the effort that we invest. We invest in determining what's prohibiting us from living our full potential in Christ. And let's let go of that. Let us sacrifice that initially and then after a while it will become like poor garbage that we are glad to get rid of it because of the supremacy, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Everything that we initially sacrificed later on we realize, well, that's nothing compared to what I get to know about Jesus when I let go of anything that hinders me. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, I want you to run with perseverance and not grow weary. Looking at Jesus, uh, who, who, who is our model, who is our pattern, who endured even the cross. He endured sacrificially anything that stood in the way and you too you need to exert energy to resist sin and to pursue righteousness effort is required and I want to say faith and effort are not contrary and grace and effort is not contrary I think I read it once uh, that effort is not opposite to grace earning is like if you doing uh, your effort uh, in order to earn God's favor, that is not biblical. But effort because you've earned God's favor in Jesus, that is totally biblical. That's a gratitude. That's a life of gratitude because Jesus died for us and did everything possible to give us this type of identity and calling. I want out of gratitude to invest 
in embracing what he embraced me for. Living out my purpose, the purpose that he created me for and saved me for to exhibit the life of God on earth, which is Christ likeness, to live out his character trait, to live a countercultural way of living, a life that loves God supremely, lives wholeheartedly for his purposes, loves others unconditionally and sacrificially, lives a circumspect life with integrity, humility, and purity, and perseverance, and a life that seeks to influence others to live like Jesus in the world. That's what we are called to live. And therefore, I want to invite you to invest some effort in setting goals around the various areas of of your spiritual development. You may be familiar, we talk a lot at Gen J, our ministry about the discipleship cross that envelopes the various areas of your spiritual development. We encourage people to set some goals every three months about the relationship with God, about their relationship with other believers, about their inner life, about their influence in the world. Something that's specific and realistic that they could do. For example, uh, spending 15 minutes a day reading the Word of God alone and endeavoring by the power of the Spirit to apply it throughout that day. Maybe it is about connecting with three or four or five God-honoring Christians that we do life together and we are transparent with one another and we love one another. Maybe it's about stopping to watch a particular show that provokes some impure thoughts or about resisting a particular activity that creates within me uh, uh, you know, hunger for value in the things of the world and and pride or may it be a goal about investing in our neighbors you know meeting with them once a month and having a barbecue together and and showing them the love of Jesus and eventually wanting to bring them to know Christ you need to set some goals so they become tension that requires you to invest some efforts by the energy that God supplies so that you could live out your full potential in Christ. We finish today by saying that believers can pursue a life of holiness as they invest the effort to discipline themselves onto godliness. Effort is fueled by grace. Trying is energized by trusting. This not contrary things and we pray that you would invest every effort to live like Jesus in the world by the power of the Spirit. Thank you so much for persevering with us throughout those various aspects of this series. We hope you've been blessed. We look forward in seeing you in another series. Until then, have a blessed day. God bless you. 